Romans 8 today, so I'll just uh, pray. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, this beautiful day. And um, thank you, Father, for the ability to meet together. And I just pray that you would um, bless the exposition of your word this morning. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, those of you who were here last time will recall um, we looked at Romans 7 where Paul could not, or Paul was describing the battle that he was having in doing what was right. He knew the right to do, but couldn't do it because he didn't have the ability. So let's pick up from Romans 8. So in response to that, um, uh, in response to that chapter, at the end of that chapter, Paul says, there is therefore... Now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. You do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the, his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs 
together until now. Not only that, but we also, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, we, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, it's the first his first opening verses are not entirely easy to understand because we're told there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh. So it seems to suggest that there is some degree of condemnation or something for those who do not walk according to the Spirit. Anyway, so let's have a look at that. So Paul has spent much time describing the anguish of wanting to do what is right, but not being able to do it. Of knowing the right, and not being able to fulfill what that is. Of knowing um, what is required of him, but failing in delivering, so to speak. And chapter 7 ends with Paul giving thanks to God, because God has delivered him from the body of flesh. And it's within this context that Paul declares that there is no condemnation in Christ. Because the law could not free us from the power of sin. So the law is very good at telling us what not to do, or telling us what to do. You shall do this, you shall not do that, etc., etc. But that was about as far as it went. It did not have the power 
to deliver us from that. It did not have the power to help us to stop us doing certain things, lying, whatever it might be, or feeling jealous, or um, fits of rage, or whatever. It does not have the power to help us to do those things. It does not have the power to help us to stop doing certain things. But now we have the power in Christ to live not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The law was too weak to help us in that area, but the condemnation, or the lack of condemnation, is for those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So no condemnation for those who walk according to the who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what does that actually mean? Does that mean you have to walk according to the Spirit to be forgiven of your sins? What's actually in view here? So the context of chapter 7, again, is your behavior and the position before God. So if you are saved, you are righteous before God. You are clothed in in the righteousness of Christ. This is your positional righteousness, so to speak. But you still inhabit your flesh. So that means that there is a battle going on between what you inhabit, your flesh, and between the life of the Spirit within you. And so Paul tells us to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be carnally minded is death. And Paul tells us that in verse 9, that as believers we are not actually in the flesh, but we are in the Spirit. And if we don't have the Spirit, then we don't belong to Him. So if we are born again, if we are truly born again, we um, we have been, sorry I couldn't read my writing there, we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. It looked like an H but we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And this is how we come to be children of God. So we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are children of God. And this, I would suggest, is different to verse 1, where we read about um, either walking according to the flesh or according to the Spirit. So we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are born again. And God gives us the power to live according to the Spirit. But we can and do sometimes live according to the flesh. We allow the flesh to rule. We allow the flesh to overtake us in one way or another, or in several different ways. So this is why Paul tells us in verse 12 that we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to it, but we are to live according to the Spirit. So when we are Christ's, when we belong to him, we are of the Spirit. And Paul is telling us to walk accordingly. Walk according to what you are. So if we walk according to the flesh, we will live a life as described in chapter 7, and it will be a kind of death. Now it won't be, obviously it's not literal death. Um, um, I'm not sure what the Greek is. Um, I could have looked that up, but um, it'll be a kind of death where it's um, no peace, you're out of fellowship with the Lord, 
kind of living death, as it were. So what does it actually mean to walk in the flesh? What do we mean by that? Now, there are obvious things, obviously. There's sins, lust, anger, um, lying, just um, the obvious things that always come to mind when you're talking about walking in the flesh. But living according to the flesh includes those things, but is more. So if you don't do those things, it doesn't mean you're off the hook by any means, because there's more to living in the flesh than those classic sins, as it were. Setting your mind on the things of this world, and like Mike said in opening this morning, if we find the things that's, that are going on in the world, the pandemic, which is hopefully just passing passing us now, to be replaced with what's going on in Ukraine, which will probably be replaced by something else, and on and on, on the conveyor belt of things that are going on in the world to cause us fear. If we find those things cause us fear, it could be that because we're walking in the flesh, because we are looking to the things of the world to give us security, to the United Nations, to bring or Joe Biden, or Boris Johnson, or whomever, Emmanuel Macron, whoever, these great, quote-unquote, leaders of the world, to bring peace, because obviously we care about what's going on to innocent civilians, but in the back of our minds there's a rather serious situation with a superpower going into another country, and that superpower has got nuclear weapons, and... He's put them on high alert. That's disconcerting. But if our security is in this world, then we're going to feel that fear. And we're not walking closely with the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean to say that we shouldn't feel a degree of disconsternation. Some of us will feel more than others. But it's where you ultimately put your security. What you do with that sense of unease um, because we know that everything is in God's hands. And if there's a nuclear strike, God allows it for whatever reason. And if there isn't, and personally I suspect there won't be, then God has decreed that there won't be. But we do know that um, as the end draws near, there are certain things that must happen. There is the um, attack on Israel from the country of the north, which most people take to be Russia. And it's just interesting to see how things will pan out. So if you're walking according to the flesh, these things do bring fear. If you're walking according to the Spirit, they wouldn't bring fear. That doesn't mean to say you shouldn't have some degree of fear. If you feel a degree of fear, it doesn't mean to say you're automatically walking according to the flesh. But it does mean that you would hand that over to the Lord. So, I mean, it's, 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 there's no hard and fast rules. It's just not, it's not as simple as it seems. But we could argue that it's about where your main focus is. Where is your focus, full stop, and where do you consider your security to be? And wherever you consider your security to be does dictate to a quite large degree the way you walk in this world. And if it's on this world, you walk according to the flesh. But if it's on Christ, you're walking according to the Spirit. There will still be emotions, there will still be uh, feelings, but ultimately your security is in Jesus 
and so you'll walk accordingly. So it's very easy to say these things, but it's very hard to know sometimes to recognize. But walking in the spirit might, sorry, walking in the flesh might also be when you rely on your own intellect to solve issues without recourse to God. Now we have intellect, we have reason, but if we rely on it solely without praying, then we're walking according to the flesh, I would say. Might be when our ambitions um, take precedence over what God wants. We're determined to get that promotion, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to be promoted and all those sorts of things, but if it takes precedence over God, one might argue that's walking according to the flesh. So it's not always obvious. And while it might include those classic sins, it doesn't always include classic sins. And it can be a very subtle thing. So if you trust your reasoning to the exclusion of God, it could be argued you're pandering to the flesh. But when you set your hearts on when you set your heart and mind on God, He empowers you to live a godly life. And when you have a problem, rather than trying to nut it out yourself, or panic, panic is another thing that is pandering to the flesh, you either reason out your problem, or you panic and go around yelling at people. <clears throat> um, that might be argued that's living to the flesh. But if you hand those things over, either your reasoning or your panic, to the Lord living according to the Spirit. So it's, it, it's, it sounds so simple, but it's not that simple. And we all do elements of both. Sometimes we panic and then we hand the panic to the Lord. Sometimes we don't. Um, <clears throat> so don't feel bad. Um, Self-righteousness, another work of the flesh. If you feel your works are good enough for the Lord, uh, work of the flesh. So the condemnation in this sense, I don't believe is condemnation of um, not being saved. Condemnation of this sense is the guilt, the shame, the death that you experience, not the literal death, but the not walking with the Lord death when you should be, when he has given you what you need to live a godly life, but you are choosing for whatever reason to not walk in that, because he has given us everything we need to live a godly life. So in this vein, we're encouraged that our present sufferings are nothing compared to the glory that is revealed or going to be revealed at the end. Because not only do those who walk according to the Spirit not fulfill the lust of the flesh, they are more concerned with spiritual matters. So their perspective is heaven. Their perspective is towards the Lord. So Paul tells us about prayer. So if we're enabled by the Holy Spirit to lead godly lives, that includes our prayer life. The Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Exactly how this works, I'm not sure, but because Paul talks about groanings that we don't hear or that we don't understand. That the Spirit prays for us because we don't always know how to pray. And that all things ultimately work together for those who love God, who don't walk according to the flesh. Now, what does it exactly say? Let's make sure that I've quoted it right. I mean, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. 
So, all things work together for good, for good, to those who um, are called according to the purpose of the Lord, which is all of us. So even if you're not walking as you should, even if there are things you're doing in your life that are wrong, the discipline that God brings into your life, if you're open and you respond to it, those are things that are working for your good. Because those God loves, he rebukes. As it says in several different places. God rebukes those, he disciplines and chastises those he considers his children. So if we're not doing what is right, then he will discipline us accordingly. And that is a good thing. And it's working together for our good. So, really, there's an awful lot more that could be said on all of those things. And it's very easy very easy to say them. It's very difficult to live it, including for myself. So I'm preaching as much to me as to anyone else. Um, so the encouraging thing is that God gives us his Holy Spirit, that he empowers us to walk according to his Holy Spirit. He gives us the strength to live the life that he requires of us. The law couldn't do it. The law, as I said, was great at telling us what to do and what not to do and it was useless to give us the ability to do it or not to do it so the verses that follow from about verse 29 have quite a strong calvinistic lilt or tilt um i don't want to labor the point too much um i'm sure there are people here who have calvinistic leanings and others who do not and i don't want to offend anybody but that's just the way it goes if I do but I'm sure I won't because I don't think people people I think in here are able to accept that there are differences of opinion differences of interpretation without going silly now so we read that um, Paul tells us that God predestined so the exact wording is For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And moreover, those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. So a passage that um, I believe Calvinists use this among many other passages to argue that God predestines those to be saved from time immoral or from the beginning of eternity or whatever outside of time God has determined who those who will be saved will be but it's just as plausible I think that predestination is not based on God's sovereign pleasure as to who he will save but rather he saves those who he knows in advance will respond to him because it's based on his foreknowledge and this isn't salvation, sorry, this isn't predestination unto salvation, but it's predestination, as it were, unto sanctification. So the process is that he calls you, and then he justifies. So those he calls, he justifies. Those he justifies, he glorifies. So he begins by saying, 
he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, which speaks of sanctification, to be conformed to the image of the Son, to be conformed to the image of Jesus, is a process of sanctification. So he calls, he justifies, he sanctifies, and then finally, at the end of the age, he will glorify. So God does draw those who he foreknew would respond to him which is an entirely different thing to him making the sovereign choice because he determine, if he determines, that's not quite the same as foreknowledge. He foreknew whom he would, who would respond to him and he draws those to him. And so once they believe on him, they are justified, positionally speaking, that means they're made righteous before God as if they had never sinned. And at the end of the process, they will be glorified with resurrection bodies, which we're probably all looking forward to. And the older you get, the more you look forward to it for obvious reasons. But to glean from the scripture that God chose based on his sovereignty, those he would save is questionable. Because anyway... So I won't go into a great deal of detail about Calvinism there, but um, it's very difficult to ignore it. So finally, what I want to look at, because of all these things, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And Paul lists a whole raft of things that can't separate us from the love of God. Death, life, Angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height nor depth, created thing, any created thing, shall not be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And those Christians who face persecution in communist countries, Islamic countries, wherever it might be, doesn't matter what the persecutors and torturers do, they cannot separate you from the love of God. And as Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body, because that's all they can do. Fear him who can kill both body and soul in hell. And so we know today that God is more powerful than COVID. It's not going to separate you from the love of God if you die from it. As um, Bill Randalls did, he just goes to be with the Lord and gets his resurrected body. It, um, the one world order, the new world order can't separate you from the love of God. However, that will eventually pan out. It can't separate you from the love of God. The devil can't separate you from the love of God. Paul said angels can't. And I think there he's probably meaning the um, fallen angels of which the devil is the chief fallen angel. And Vladimir Putin can't separate you from the love of God. If you're a Christian in um, the Ukraine, that's not going to separate you from the love of God. And there are stories I've heard in the Ukraine, where Russian soldiers have put down their arms because they don't like fighting this war. I understand there's reports that Russians don't like to fight, the Russian soldiers don't really want to fight this war. And there's reports that they've put down their arms, they've been captured by Ukrainians, and Ukrainians have rung the soldiers' mothers to let them know they'll be okay, that they're not going to execute them or anything like that. Um... So quite miraculous things are happening there. And apparently the Belarusian 
soldiers who are meant to be on Russia's side. So Belarus is another part of what used to be the Soviet Union, all these little countries. They're not fighting and, and, and the Russians appear to be bogged down. So none of these things can separate us from the love of God. And God is totally 100% sovereign in all of these situations, regardless of what's going on. He knows, he allows, he stops, and he starts things, stops things, whatever. None of it can separate us from his love. So on that note, I thank you, Lord, um, for your word. And I just pray, Lord, that your word would have the effect that you have determined that it would have. Um, that you would speak to people's hearts here today. I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.